The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the debut edition of Hacks and Jacks a brand new fantasy baseball podcast that we hope will both inform and entertain you. I'm Joe Galina, and I'm going to be joined each week by my co-host, Scott Chu. Scott, how's it going? I'm doing great, Joe. I'm excited to be doing this finally. We've, we've known about we're, that we've known we're going to do this for a little while. I've kind of just been waiting and waiting and waiting, and here it is. It's happening. I'm, pr- I'm pretty excited. I am equally excited, and uh, you know, I was watching the news yesterday. They said 70% of the country covered in snow, and here we are. <laughs> We're going to be talking baseball, so what could be better than that? So uh, barring any unforeseen circumstances, we'll be dropping new episodes for this podcast every Monday. Uh, Hacks and Jacks is just one of the 20 new podcasts debuting with the launch of the uh, Pitcher List Podcast Network. So you could follow at Pitcher List Pods. That'll give you every episode of every podcast in the network. You could follow us on Twitter at Hacks and Jacks PL. And Scott, what a week it's been for Nick Pollock and, and Pitcher List to give people that are listening a little reference. It's We're recording this on February 21st, 2021, of course. But what a week it's been, Scott. Debut of... Pitcherless 6.0, the debut of our, our network, and PitchCon, four days of in-depth baseball content. Nick doing a show with Ido Saras, other f- fantasy baseball stars. What a week. Man, it has been nonstop action. I mean, ever since, you know, just before the launch of 6.0, I was writing up all of the hitter rankings that we have on PitcherList as part of our draft guide. Had to get all that done. I mean, that was, that was sleepless nights. I haven't done all-nighters like that since law school. And I was much better at them then than I am now. I'll tell you that uh, it, it's been rough, but it's also been so cool. I mean, we've got so much great content on the site. And then there's also been PitchCon, right? Like PitchCon is just this really cool thing that, you know, by the time you listen to this, it's over. But absolutely free, right? Just back to back to back, like heavy hitters in the industry, people sharing all kinds of unique ideas. We've got roundtables. We've got all this stuff. If it's anything like last year, we'll probably have some videos come out later on so that people can check out that content. I know that I did one myself. Like once I finished those rankings, I had to do my presentation. It was all about rolling charts, how to use them, how to interpret them for hitters, and how to you know sort of analyze growth in players instead of just looking at year-end stats. And you know, if you check out the rankings, listen to these pods, you'll you'll hear me talk about it, you know, throughout. And it's something I love to talk about because 
there's so much more than these like season ending stats. It's what it's what we talk about in draft prep, but there's so much more, right? A guy doesn't hit 260 every day. Right. He he goes through ups and downs. And while we all know that, it's a hard thing to talk about and quantify. So his rolling charts are cool, but yeah, just all kinds of presentations, all kinds of great people. You know, if you ever hear that we're doing PitchCon again, you know, supporting a great cause, of course, half of everything we raised was for charity, feeding America. Yep. So a lot of really cool stuff and it's just cool to have the fantasy baseball community rally around these charities, which so many folks do. I mean, Justin Mason over at Friends and Fantasy Benefits does a lot of cool stuff like that for when he yep. runs TGFBI. Just so many cool things. So it's cool to be a part of it. And I'm just, you know, it, it's it's sort of surreal when it's all over. Like, you know, now I'm recording this pod and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I'm not writing any more rankings. I'm not working <laughs> on a presentation. I'm not, you know, I'm not like I'm not doing pitch count anymore. Now what? Now I just do regular baseball stuff, I guess. And I'll tell you, those rolling charts, how helpful are they? Like you said, I mean, they give you a really good in-depth indication of what a player's season was really like. I mean, you could just throw out stats all over the place. Well, you know, he had a 25% K rate, uh, but then you take a look at what uh, a particular player's season was actually like. And, and I love those charts. Very, very useful. Like you said, PitchCon. Feeding America, great charity that everyone should get behind and support. Uh, log in to PitcherList.com. Check out the site. Check out all your articles, Scott. The content PitcherList puts, it's just mind-boggling it, just how, how deep it goes. So, I mean, we could really do a whole podcast on this. You know, just, you know, the, the content that's available right now. Uh, but uh, listen to us first, and then you could go uh, log on to PitcherList.com. Uh, but we're going to be using your rankings for first baseman uh, a little later in the show as we uh, break down the first base position. But uh, I, I was going to ask you what your offseason has been like, but obviously you've just been writing, right? So the, <laughs> just great stuff uh, coming out uh, from uh, PitcherList and yourself as well. So uh, we got some news that let's uh, go over right now, uh, and then we'll get into our uh, first base breakdown. So uh, a week or two before the start of uh, spring training, uh, that uh, took place February 17th. We got some news about a uh, little slight changes to the baseball there, Scott. So uh, supposedly they're reducing the weight of the balls in play, uh, but not changing the actual size. Uh, an independent study found that the new balls are going to travel one to two feet shorter when hit over 375 feet. And they're estimating that a return to 2017 home run levels. Now, 2017 wasn't exactly a dead ball season. Uh, that uh, season set the record for most home runs hit ever uh, until 2019 came around. And, and then there were even more. But you also have five more teams using humidors. And, and so how does this affect you in, as you uh, work on your draft strategy, Scott? Are you worried about there being a few less home runs being hit this season? Not exactly, right? Because it, it's going to generally, you know, when you just think about overall, while they changed the ball, they didn't only change it for one team, right? They changed it for everybody. So, I mean, on one hand, you could start like splitting hairs and say, well, these guys that are hitting these wall scraping home runs are, you know, they're going to be impacted. But it's not, there's not that many home runs. They're only clear by one foot, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they clear by multiple feet. And, you know, five feet is not a lot. It just gets over the wall. But the ball isn't projected to actually move it that much. I'm actually a lot more interested in those humidors. Humidors have a huge impact on how the balls move, how they travel, because it's all about keeping those balls from totally drying out, losing all their moisture, right? I mean, if you think about Colorado, 
Colorado is the, you know, the place for offense, right? You think about it, you're like, man, they just rope doubles. They do all kinds of big stuff in Colorado. But you might not remember that before it was way more prolific. It was like a video game in Colorado before the before the humidor. It was nuts. And while it's still a big deal, it's nothing like it was before. Think about Arizona. Arizona was like Colorado Junior, right? It didn't get talked about as much, but that dry climate in Arizona, balls flew there. This absolutely flew. And now it's like fairly neutral, right? Why? Humidor. They didn't move those fen- like they didn't move the fences back 30 feet. Right, right, they got right. a humidor. So those humidors are a really big deal and that to me is the much bigger news about these teams adding these humidors less than this ball that might travel a foot less when it's hit you know, 375 feet. And if everybody has a little decrease in home runs, it kind of doesn't matter, right? It, it's still a level playing field. You know, it'll, it'll change the targets for how many home runs you need, but it's not going to change how you have to get there, right? Because everyone's going to get these little, maybe, you know, lots of players will get a minor drop here and there, right? So less interested in the ball changing until I see it. It's just hard to say. The humidors, I know what they do. So that's a much bigger deal to me. Great point. And we don't know which of the five teams are that are going to be using humidors, the new teams. But we do know, obviously, like you mentioned, the Diamondbacks, uh, the Rockies, the Red Sox, the Mets and the Mariners already use humidors. So uh, we'll see that. And, you know, they could talk about all the independent studies that they want. But until we actually see some uh, actual baseball games, we really won't know the actual impact that the uh, the new baseball will have but uh, so let's get to some uh, player news we've got a lot to get to in, in this uh, podcast today so Astros pitching coach Brent Strom called Ryan Presley the leader to be uh, the team's closer you also mentioned that uh, Steve Sushak uh, Pedro Baez Joe Smith they might also be in the mix for uh, some ninth inning work so speaking of Presley and fantasy uh, closers, uh, I mean, uh, are you as all shook up over the closer position? That's an Elvis reference there, by the way, uh, because a closer position seems like it's it's going to be even more volatile than ever this season uh, with more and more teams using the, the closer by committee. And uh, let's face it, I mean, closer by committee, kind of a smart strategy with all the sabermetric info that we have and you know getting the best possible matchups right but how are you uh, approaching the uh, fantasy closer position and i'm going to tell you every time i hear any news about you know closers this guy might close here this i I always take a note because it changes every day it really does and our own rick ram who's sort of our our closing guru our, our reliever guru here at pitcher list he's got some list of like 20 teams that have already said we're doing a closer by committee, right? It's yeah. going to be nuts. Mm-hmm. And they might not all be by committee all the time. They're, they're going to have leads, but we don't know who that is until they start playing. So that's what's really difficult. The one thing I'll say about Houston is I love Ryan Presley. He's been really, really good. He, he broke out in Minnesota. Houston noticed, went and acquired him, made him even better. He's been a lights-out reliever. And while last year people kind of mentioned like, oh, he struggled a bit. He really didn't. He had like two bad outings and then was lights out the rest of the way. I really like Ryan Presley there. And while there are some guys behind him who could like, you know, they could compete. I'm not concerned. Ryan Presley's the best pitcher in their bullpen. And I don't think it's particularly close. So I actually like him a lot. I hear the manager saying, oh, it's going to be a competition. Newsflash, like almost everything is a competition right now, right? Because it's February. They want they want everything to be a competition. Oh, nobody's got a guaranteed spot, whatever. I mean, Ryan Presley's the best pitcher in that bullpen. And he has been for quite some time, right? I mean, like, even Osuna, like, he was 
Osuna, you know, regardless of his personal issues, he was like he was a good closer. But Ryan Presley was just as good mm-hmm. as the setup guy. So I really like him a lot. And I'm some of it. So much of it is noise that, you know, there's a couple guys that I just feel like they've got the job. Presley's one of them. And he's undervalued in drafts right now because people think that it's up in the air. I don't think it is. I think that he's got that job. He's going to run with it. And he's going to be a darn good closer for folks. Yep, I'm a Presley fan as well. And I, I think just in general, when it comes to fantasy closers, it seems like obviously two options here, right? Either you hit them a little earlier in your drafts, make sure that you get a, a closer like Araldis Chapman from the Yankees who has a lock to get a majority of the save chances, or you might wait and grab a few of the setup guys later on in your drafts uh, that might have a potential path to a closer's job. Uh, I mean, from recent mock drafts that I've been a part of, uh, a guy like Anthony Bass, who uh, is a potential Marlins close, I get him very late in drafts, so you keep that in mind. Uh, but there's nothing worse than getting in a bidding war uh, and wasting all your fab in the middle of the season as soon as uh, a team announces a new closer. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really hard thing to manage, and it's really also going to be dependent on your league size. In 12-teamers, waiting on closers is viable. You can do it. In a 15-teamer, just those three extra teams, it is not viable. It is so hard to find saves later on uh, just because so many more teams, like even just those three extra teams being after them and the market being so tight, they're just not out there. So really make sure, you know, just because something worked in your 12-team draft, when you go to your 15-team draft, it's not going to be the same. You have to be ready to make that pivot. You also just got to read the room, right? Are people buying closers early? Then you got to make that call. Am I going to punt closer so that I can attack other things, get that value, and just be ready to accept that I don't have very many saves? Or do you jump in the fray and say, I can't fall behind in saves. I really want to I want to be one of those folks that's top three in every category. Both are viable. You just got to know what you're going to do and, and know who your targets are and be ready to pivot in the draft if that's what you got to do. Read the room. Great advice. Every single draft that you're involved in is, is unique in its own way. So let's move on. JT Riomuto the number one catcher in fantasy uh, with uh, an ADP of 40. And then when I mention ADPs, I'm going to be mentioning the fantasy pros consensus ADPs. It's five different sources that are called together. And there's, there's an average they use uh, fantasy pros uses ESPN, Yahoo, RT sports, fan tracks, and NFBC, NFBC leagues or uh, high stakes players. They never stop drafting. So that, there's uh, a lot of inf- good information uh, specifically for NFBC if you go to their site as well. But uh, JT Riamuto has a little fracture in his right thumb. Happened about a week before camp started. Uh, he was uh, trying to block a ball in the dirt. Unlikely to see any exhibition game action until mid-March. And they think that he's going to be okay. The Phillies do uh, for opening day. Did catch a bullpen session on Saturday the 20th. Wasn't able to throw the ball back to the pitcher, of course. But ADP 40 in a 12-team league, that's fourth round for you. For, for me, uh, unless it's a two-catcher league, there's no way I'm drafting him at that spot. But what, what your thoughts on, on Riamuto and this little itty-bitty fracture? Look, whether or not you're going to take Real Muto early has nothing to do with this thumb injury, right? It, it's all about your approach to catcher, right? And let's talk about, we'll talk about single catcher 12-team leagues right now. You've got two options. You either go early and you take Real Muto, or you might as well just wait till the end, right? And, and just grab someone at the very end. You can wait so long to get a Travis Darno in a 12-team league, right? You, right? you don't have to spend a whole lot of draft capital. So 
those are your those are your options. Like there's other guys in between or whatever, but generally you're going to be in one of those camps where I am going to focus on getting a high-end catcher or I'm definitely not. And I'm going to pick one real later on and just wait and wait and wait and get my Christian Vasquez, get my Sean Murphy because I think he'll stay healthy, get my Austin Nola, right? You've got options. And if you were one of the people that was going to attack JT Real Moto because, you know, you you look at those standing gain points and you see that catcher, you know, there's Real Muto and then there's everybody else, right? I mean, you look at mock drafts, it's Real Muto and then several rounds, right? And then the next guy, right? So, I mean, well, what what does it change his ADP by five picks? Like, I mean, just just someone else takes him if you don't. Yeah, someone's taking him in the third or fourth round. I mean, that's just going to happen. So you just have to decide if it's going to be you. And if it's going to be you, make sure you do it in a bunch of mocks because it's a lot harder than you think. You can't yeah. just accidentally take Real Muto early. It's just like in fantasy football. If you're not used to taking quarterback early, then it's going to be really hard for you to pivot. And you're going to feel really sort of exposed in your draft because like, oh, man, I usually have more running backs than this. Things like that. So catcher is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about this injury, right? Are you? Do you want to have that advantage at catcher or not? And it comes with a cost, right? It comes with a big cost and something you have to practice for. But that's your call. I'm not going to try to stop anybody. As long as you know what you're getting into, it can be a good thing. You can win leagues by taking JT Real Mudo. Yes. The question is, can you win your league taking JT Real Mudo? Have you practiced whether or not you can take a catcher early? Right. That's what the key is going to be. It has nothing to do with this thumb injury. I'm just not concerned about it. Right, right. And just to give you a little heads up, I was talking about NFBC ADPs. You could go to their website. You could uh, check out ADPs for specific dates. So up until the 17th, his ADP was 34.92. Let's call it 35. The injury was announced on the 18th. So from the 18th to the present, and like I said, we're recording this on the 21st, his ADP did rise to uh, 40.44. So, you know, there was a, about like you you called it just like a, a five point uh, movement in ADP. So and I agree with everything you said. And also depends on like the size of your league. If you're playing in a one catcher or two catcher league, uh, I was doing some mocks this week where we had a draft two catchers and I waited and I waited. And uh, I tell you, you, your guy, you're a Tigers fan. Wilson Ramos, ADP 316. I mean, this guy's probably going to hit, what, 270, maybe 14 home runs? Uh, he, he's a value very late, late in, in, in drafts if you really wait, you know? Yeah, and if he doesn't, who cares? You, you didn't pay anything You didn't pay anything to get him, so mm-hmm. it, does, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, at some point, especially in a single catcher league, at some point, catcher just dries up and you're streaming anyway. So who right. cares, right? right? Like after, probably after like the Vasquez, Darno kind of tier, there's other catchers that are good. But you're going to start considering streaming if if you need to, right? Like, yeah, I guess if you like Austin Nola, you, Nola, you can hold on to him. Dalton Varsho, you can hold on to him. But if they struggle in a 12-teamer, you're cutting them. You're replacing them with a catcher who's hot. So, again, do you want to care about catcher or not? Right. And it's either going to be JT Real Muto, where you care and you took him early, and then you set it and forget it, or you don't care and you just manage catcher throughout the season. It's one of the two, and just decide what you want to do. Yep. And just another couple of players to mention uh, uh, in the catcher position, Jorge Alfaro, ADP 302, fought COVID last season, terrible season, <laughs> batted 226. But Don Manley says he's going to get the bulk of uh, catching duties this season, so uh, keep an eye on him late in drafts. If you look at his numbers from 2017 to 2019, that's 267 games. 
decent slash line of uh, 269, 322, 429. And one other catch I'll mention who was in the news, Sean Murphy from the A's had, uh, it was reported, just came out of nowhere, had off-season surgery due to a collapsed lung. This happened just a couple weeks before the start of uh, spring training. A's think he's going to be ready for opening day, so keep an eye out on that situation. A dry position gets even drier sometimes. So moving on, Max Scherzer. Ace uh, for the Nationals. He has an ADP of 26. Just mention these ADPs just so that we get used to, you know, where these guys are going. So came out that he sprained his left ankle during a conditioning program two weeks before the start of camp. Doesn't look like it's going to be a long-term issue. He came out and spoke out about it, says he's going to be okay. Some fantasy baseball managers being cautious when it comes to drafting Scherzer. He's getting a little older and had some problems with his back. You know, he never hit the IL in the past, but last season had some issues. He's going to be 37 this July. He goes about the same with in terms of his ADP with uh, Aaron Nola, Jack Flaherty, Clayton Kershaw, Luis Castillo. All get taken around that third round. First of all, are you concerned with Max Scherzer just in general? I mean, we saw some kinks in the armor for the first time almost uh, last season. And uh, from that group, the Aaron Nola, Flaherty, Kershaw, Castillo, Scherzer, who do you think you would take? There's, it depends on if I took a picture before that, mm-hmm. just to be, you know, to be frank, I mean, because it's sure. going to change how I have risk, right? So if I, if I'm doing like a, you know, sort of like a mini pocket aces strategy, I took Garrett Cole or Jake DeGrom early. I'm going to be a lot more willing to take a Max Scherzer, even if he throws more like, you know, 80% of the innings other guys do. Volume matters a lot, blah, blah, blah. But let me tell you something. If you've watched Max Scherzer, they have to drag him off the mound. They have to like call security to get this man off the mound. I am not concerned about a sprained ankle any more than Max Scherzer is concerned about a sprained ankle, and he's not, right? Mm-hmm. I, one of my greatest baseball memories is I was at the game in Detroit. It was Tigers A's. They brought in Max Scherzer in relief, seventh inning. He loads the bases and gets out of it as a reliever. I mean, and he was just electric. The whole stadium is just nuts the whole time. You know, I'm in Comerica. I'm trying to like reach my head around the foul pole just watching this guy. You could feel his energy from there, right? And I know he's 37. He still got it. I mean, it's not. It's not just like the the two colored eyes thing. He is a super intense guy. I'm not even sure if he ever felt the spring day. I'm not sure he feels it now, right? Because he's that kind of guy. He doesn't care. He's going to pitch. He's going to strike out a bunch of guys. And if of all those pitchers you named, him and Clayton Kershaw are the two that would be the least surprising to me to end this season with an ERA under three, right? Because they're that good. Yes. I, look, age, injury concerns, especially in a 12-teamer, you can make up some of those injuries, right? You can, You can make up a spot start here and there. You cannot find Max Scherzer talent on your waiver wire. It does not exist because it would never show up there in the first place. Max Scherzer is an electric arm. And, you know, I'm just not concerned about these kinds of things unless they start talking about him missing time already. It's just not a concern because, again, he's going to pitch. If he thinks he's healthy enough to pitch, which is all the time, right, you'd have to amputate his arm. And even then he just try to throw lefty. He wouldn't care. Right. He's going to try to pitch. Yeah. Would it affect his fantasy value? I mean, like, would it affect his fantasy value if if that happened? Maybe. I don't even know. I honestly don't even know at this point because I wouldn't put it past Max Scherzer to just, like, make it work and just, like, stare at his left arm intensely enough for it to just start working like his right. He's that kind of guy. So I love taking him in that that little group of picks. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. And as we move forward, a couple of pitchers tested positive uh, for COVID-19. And uh, we we have to keep 
COVID in the back of our minds. Things are getting better out there. And, you know, we're doing this podcast to kind of take our minds away from the seriousness of what's going on in the world. But unfortunately, we have to deal with what's going on. The pandemic is still here. Shane Bieber, ALSI Young Award winner, tested positive for COVID-19. Only mild symptoms, arrived in camp uh, on Saturday and was working out with his teammates. So I guess they feel he's not uh, contagious. So uh, J.A. Happ also tested positive for COVID-19. He's asymptomatic, may uh, be cleared to join Twins camp by the end of uh, the week. And MLB uh, reported that there were 13 positive COVID-19 tests, nine players, four staff members, lots of protocols in place for MLB personnel, including players wearing sensors. That's, that's going to help to monitor them social distancing and uh, also if they need to do some contact tracing. So, look, I'm thrilled that we got to start spring training on time. I'm confident that we're going to play 162 games. I mean, the NFL did it. Uh, look, the NHL has had some uh, bumps and bruises, and so has the NBA. They've had to postpone and reschedule games and whatnot. But, uh, look, we just have to, I guess, draft as deep a team as, as possible. And the multi-position player becomes all that more important this season, no? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're just trying to give me a reason to talk about why you should love David Fletcher, I'm here for it, right? I Go love David. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But, you know, in terms of how do I feel about drafting Shane Bieber after finding out he just had COVID, the answer is I have no idea how COVID's going to affect him because none of us know how right. COVID's going to affect him long term, right? Like, he might be asymptomatic, but he still might feel fatigue, right? It, it might affect his body in some way. That's the scary thing about COVID is we don't know what it does long term, right. right? We've seen some bad stuff. We've seen some stuff that's non, you know, that that's nothing, right? We, we've seen both, right? And thankfully, it's been more nothing than it has been serious long-term impact, but we just don't know. So you're going to have to decide yourself of what is your approach when you don't know? Are you aggressive and you go for it or are you conservative? There are really good reasons to be either one. I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you which one you should be, but you need to know which one you are before you get in that draft room. Because if you don't know which one you are, you're just going to be sitting there staring at Shane Bieber trying to decide, right? And instead of wasting that time trying to decide what kind of person you are, which isn't going to change from today in your draft, I'll tell you that. It's not going to change. You're, you just, just know that. Know that. Know where Shane Bieber falls in your draft board. You don't have to make long rankings and rank 30 people at every position and 100 outfielders like I did, right? All you need to do, at the very least, get those first two rounds. Where do I like these guys, right? Even, even if you just tear it a little bit. And you're not quite sure. Just know what you want to do with Shane Bieber for not knowing. Just know, right? Because then you can start thinking about the rest of your draft. You can start thinking about the rest of your things. Otherwise, you'll spend your whole minute and a half or your whole slow draft trying to think if Shane Bieber's worth it. And you're not going to be doing any of the analysis on the other players available to you. And, and that's wasted time. You cannot be spending your whole clock thinking about one player. Right. You need to be thinking about it as many players as you can. So know what you want to do. Know what you want to deal with unknown because we're not going to know. And newsflash, we're not going to know before you draft. We're not going to know the long-term effects because it's not going to be long-term yet right. by the time you draft. Even if you draft at the end of March, we're not going to know. We're not going to know how this impacts him in April and May until we have April and May. So decide for yourself, what am I going to do? And then in your draft, you can waste less time with that and more time, I don't know, comparing players, trying to figure out how to make your team the best. That, that's what will benefit you the most good example uh, and you made a great point about we don't know what the long-term effects are when it comes to covid is uh, yoan mancada who, who came out and said look you know I, I had i was positive last year 
And even though I was able to play, it just affected me uh, for the entire season. You know, it just drained me. So you're right. There's some guys, and we're going to be talking when we do our first base uh, preview in a couple of minutes. Freddie Freeman, he uh, had a, a positive COVID test, and then he went and won the NL MVP. I mean, so you're right. Every player is different, and we just don't know. Julio Tehran, I wanted to just mention him briefly, uh, signed the minor league contract uh, with your Tigers. Uh, get your juices flowing. I know you're a Tigers fan. Yeah, I mean, somebody's got to throw innings, right? Like, we, right. we can't let my boy Tarek Skubal throw all the innings yet. <laughs> you know, these guys are going to need some seasoning. They're going to need time. They're going to need practice. But it's a great move for the Tigers. Look, I love when they, I love when teams that aren't competing sign these veteran guys because what's the worst that could happen, right? A couple of years ago, they did this with Mike Fires. Traded him to Oakland for almost nothing, but they got a prospect back. And even if the prospect ends up being nothing, what did it cost you? There's no bad one-year contract in baseball. Go ahead and get him. Go get Julio Tehran. And maybe, I mean, we've been surprised by Julio Tehran before. Yeah. He's gone out there and throw these like three and a half ERA seasons. He's got a bunch of them, despite mm-hmm. not being that good. What if he does it again? What if some team pays us some, you know, middle relief prospect? Why not? Right? When you're rebuilding, you can still get these veteran guys. Let them pitch. Let them play. Right? Sometimes it works out. Sometimes nothing happens. But who cares? There's no skin off your nose, right? It's it's just a pit. I mean, it's a one-year contract. If he's no good, he's no good. You move on. You weren't competing anyway. Right. So, but maybe he's good. And maybe you trade him for something. Or maybe he's good. And he uses up those innings so you don't have to force your young players to pitch them. It's a great move. I, I love this stuff, right? Does it matter for fantasy? Absolutely not, right? right. I, maybe AL only because he's going to pitch. And innings mm-hmm. pitched is a very meaningful thing in AL only. But after that, who cares, right? All that matters is... This is a decent move for the Tigers to become a better baseball team later, right? You got to have players now. And Julio Tehran is a player. He's pitched in this league. He's yeah. done it a lot. He's done a lot of it. He's had success at times, like you mentioned. Yeah. He's been not super terrible for real baseball many times, right? So why not? Why not? You talked about uh, teams that are not going to be competitive uh, making these kind of moves. Uh, how about the Mets? They're supposedly going to be very competitive. And as a Yankee fan, it, it hurts me to say that. But uh, Taiwan Walker, they signed him to a year, two-year contract with an option uh, for 23. Now, uh, Walker, he's another guy that's been mostly, we'll say, good, right? 28 years old. Last season, 2.7 ERA, 1.16 whip, 50 to 19 a uh, strikeout to walk ratio for the Mariners and Blue Jays. But like my friend Rocky Balboa would say, uh, Walker's world wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, and it's not. The, the ERA estimators, uh, FIP, XFIP, Sierra, all have his 2020 ERA in the upper four. StatCast has his expected ERA at 4.87. Posing hitters feasted on his sinker to a 391 batting average against. You get him for free, unless we see a, a big move in his ADP, ADP 305. But does this kind of move the needle on, on you to say, hey, you know, this guy's had some success. He's moving back to the NL with a, a good Mets team. Uh, what do you think about Walker and this move? Yeah, really two things, Joe. Number one is being on a team always moves the needle, right? Being on a team versus not being on a team, that moves the needle, right? The only thing that's going to move the needle right now on Yasiel Puig is being on a freaking team, right? right? That's that's that moves the needle more than anything else. So Taiwan Walker is on a team that matters. It's it's a good team. I love what the Mets are doing because back in the day, the Astros rebuilt this team by trading for prospects, right? Because that was the market efficiency. You could get prospects. You could trade a Lance Berkman when he was 80 and get something back. Right. Uh, it, I mean, I it, that was a that was a way to get value. You can't do that anymore. You can't trade Cliff Lee and re- for half a season and rebuild your farm. 
You can't do that anymore. Where is the value? It's veterans. It's veteran free agents. You can go sign veteran free agents. And look, for Taiwan Walker, you could talk about his his FIP, his ex-FIP, all that. Those are all important stats, but don't overthink it, guys. The the issue with Taiwan Walker is not his FIP or his ex-FIP. It's that in a 60-game season, he pitched 53.1 innings. That is the most innings he's pitched since 2017, right? Way more. In 2018 and 2019 combined, it was 14 innings. The guys had a lot of injury problems, right? right those 53 right. innings, those are the important thing. Like, I see some projections out there, and if you're projecting for 100 innings, just remember that he has not done that since 2017, right? He has not come close to that. He's only thrown, like, 55 innings over the last three seasons. Does that mean he can't pitch 100 innings? Of course not. He could. He totally could. He could pitch 100 good innings. But remember that He's got to pitch the innings first. Results come second for Taiwan Walker. First, he needs to pitch the innings. Does it move the needle in a 12-team league? No. He's a watchless candidate no matter what you do, right? In a deep in a deep league, sure. He's now a flyer in the 30th round instead of the 40th, and that's great. But we're still talking about like very back-end value because it's so much risk. Mm-hmm. So let, let, I'm rooting for him a lot. I remember being a big Taiwan Walker fan back in you know 2015 to 2017. It's not 2015 to 2017 anymore. It's several years later, right? Right. So, I mean, that's really the big thing about Taiwan Walker. Get excited, but like, don't overthink it, guys. Just get excited and then put him on your watch list. Great point. Great point. So uh, last player we'll talk about, and it'll help us to segue into our uh, first base discussion. Lourdes Gurriel, my guy, love this guy from the Blue Jays. Uh, supposedly, Blue Jays GM said that he's going to be receiving some reps at first base and third base. Love him. <laughs> Had his ADP of 89. Eighth rounder in a 12-team league. 162-game average, which, you know, not perfect to look at, but 287, 33 home runs, 93 runs batted in, eight stolen bases. Steamer says he's going to hit 28 home runs and uh, – steal another eight bases. I mean, I think there's too much of a crowd at first base for Gurriel to get regular bats there. But uh, I guess, look, we talk about uh, multi-position eligibility and who knows what's going to happen where maybe, uh, you know, a, a specific team or it could be the Blue Jays might have to, you know, sit out some players for a period of time. I guess it's good for teams to have their options open. But uh, I love Gurriel. Oh, you know, I'm a big fan. I really like him a lot. I love that they're trying at other positions, not because I think he's going to like be fantasy relevant at those positions necessarily. I don't know if he's going to play enough, but because they're looking for ways. I mean, when, when teams do this, that's because they want to get him in the lineup. They have a crowded roster right now in hitters, right? They keep bringing in more. So it, with the Blue Jays, how do you get Lourdes Gurriel in the lineup? And that's teaching him more positions. Let him get in. Let him get in wherever there are holes. Let him, any day that you can't just put him in the outfield, let him start for somebody else, Mm -hmm. right? Because you've got so many positions locked up. Let him go play whatever position you can get him in. And with Lord Scurriel, we've seen, I mean, he's right now so far as a young player, he's been like a spike guy, right? He goes, he gets really, really hot, cools off. Then he's really hot, then he cools off, right? And he's had these huge spikes. And that's normal for a young player. There's nothing bad about that. But just to talk about rolling charts for just a second, what I sure, loved what I, I saw it. in twenty two, what I loved what I saw in twenty twenty. If you go to Statcast, wherever, look up that rolling chart. Look at that. Look at that woba. Look at that expected woba. What you see is those spikes are getting fatter, right? That up and down. It's taking longer before he comes back down. He's he's get, staying up longer and coming back down slower. 
That's what I love to see in a young player. I'm seeing that in Lords Guriel so far. That's not predictive. That doesn't mean it's going to keep happening, right? He could very well slump. Players have to make adjustments all the time. But he seems to be starting to make more adjustments on the fly. And even in 2019, he'd have these up and downs, but he never sunk that low. You know, he, he always stopped himself in time. So love seeing that. Love Lords Guriel. And, and I'm absolutely fine with him at his current ADP. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's jump in to our first base discussion. Like I said, you did a great job on all these articles, uh, but uh, let's uh, tackle the top tier. Uh, we've got a lot of players to go over, but uh, Freddie Freeman, uh, like I talked about him before, reigning NL MVP, Cody Bellinger, they're the top two at the first base position. For me, uh, I'm going to be drafting, I think, Bellinger before I, I, I draft uh, Freddie F- Freeman with talking about late first round, early second round uh, ADPs for both these guys. What I like about Bellinger is the multi-position eligibility. You get uh, a few more stolen bases from him. Yeah, you might not get the batting average that Freddie Freeman gives you. And uh, the, the the power, both of them are uh, power guys, but I see Freeman as more of a, a 30 homer guy with Bellinger uh, upwards of 40 home runs. That's very possible. And, and of of the first baseman, you know, Freddie Freeman, love him, and I'll I'll wax poetic about him in just a moment. But with Cody Bellinger, don't forget, it was not long ago, it was 2019, that he was like a top five player, right? This yep. is a guy who is very, very good, and he had shoulder issues all year last year, and also had some, like, pretty bad luck as things went on, right? He, I remember, and I say this in the article, I was like looking for something that happened. I was looking for this like hole in his swing or like some kind of adjustment he didn't make. None of that happened, right? He still hit 12 home runs, swiped six bases on a full season pace, more than 30 home runs, more than 15 steals. That's a, what kind of floor is that, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's a really good fantasy player. And if anyone at first base was going to be a top five player by the end of this season, Cody Bellinger's the most likely because he steals bases too. Right, as much as I love Freddie Freeman, I think Freddie Freeman's a better hitter than Cody mm-hmm. Bellinger. He don't run, right? right? And, and in so many leagues, still running matters. Cody Bellinger can run, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if his shoulder isn't falling off. So that's you know that's something that I really looked at. Just about Freddie Freeman for just a moment. As far as hitting goes, he might be one of the best. I mean, I, he not might be. He is one of the best hitters in baseball, right? Sure. The guy. He was like sick, like, you know, practically like deathbed sick with this COVID thing, comes back, wins the NL MVP. And it's not like it was like because he was the comeback player. It's because he was the best hitter in the National League, right? He absolutely raked. Yeah. Yeah. Love that they brought back Marcelo Zuna because he and Ozuna just paired really well with the 3-4 for them. Uh, Freddie Freeman, there's nothing he can't hit. You know, when you watch him at the plate, you know, every single at-bat, you're thinking, this is going to be at least a double, right? Every time he swings, you're like, uh-oh. Like, what, what did he do? What did he see? What did he hit? So he makes amazing contact. And, you know, locking down first base is not a bad strategy, not because first base is necessarily thin, but because there are two guys with much higher floors than probably the rest of the position. It's one of these two. I probably take Freddie Freeman first, simply because his floor is even higher than Bellinger's, particularly with batting average. But again, if you want to take Bellinger first, I get it. It's because of the steals, right? right. That's why. Yeah. And these guys yeah. are going to go within three picks of each other, four picks of each other. So right, right. Yeah. So you know, for me, whatever. yeah, like I, like I mentioned, if I'm taking somebody uh, first round, 
early second round, and it's an offensive player. I'm going to try my best to try to get as close to a 5-2 player uh, as possible. Um, and But I can't argue with taking Freddie uh, Freeman. And uh, the, the one thing just to take note of is, like you mentioned, uh, he had some – that Bellinger had some shoulder issues, had off-season shoulder uh, surgery. And up until recently, uh, reports were that he was only taking one-handed swings. That's probably just part of his rehab. Uh, and uh, manager Dave Roberts uh, – Dodger manager Dave Roberts says he's going to be okay for opening day, but just keep that in the back of your, of your mind. So uh, we can move over, over to the near elite part of your article. And I'm a Yankee fan. And I tell you, when the Yankees first signed DJ LeMahieu, I was like, why? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was always a nice player, right? But uh, he's going to hit for average and he stole some bases, but really didn't hit for much power. But look, you know, First base, second base, third base eligible. He's a second or third round, second or early third round pick in a 12-team league. But you look at what this guy has done since coming to the Yankees. Look, his 162-game average from 2012 to 2018 with the Rockies in a hitter's park. 299 average, nine home runs. 88 runs scored, 61 runs batted in, and 14 stolen bases. In the two seasons uh, with the Yankees, his 162-game average, 336 batting average, 30 home runs, 125 runs scored, uh, 108 RBI, and uh, just seven stolen bases. But he really has reinvented himself, going to the opposite way. 36 total home runs in two seasons with the Yankees. 21 of them are at home. And 16 of those 21 were hit to the opposite field. I tell you, I did a mock draft. I'm talking a lot about DJ LeMay. I'm sorry, but uh, yeah, I did a mock draft with him. I ended up taking him. I had the second pick in a mock, a uh, 15 team mock draft. I took him in the in the, the end of the uh, the second round. I mean, I'm high on him just because, like I mentioned, the multi position eligibility. Coming back to to the Yankees was just a natural for him, and he knew it, right? Because he waited. You know, he waited till the Yankees gave him a contract. It's just a perfect fit for him. He's comfortable there. I can't say anything else about DJ LeMahieu. Stop me. There's there's nothing bad to say about him. You like him because he's good, right? And he's a really good example of how a good hit tool can turn into power. As much as I like Coors Field as a hitting environment, it's big. It's really, really big, right? It's one of the reasons that the numbers are so good there because they have this gigantic outfield with these huge power alleys that you can just wreck balls down and get triples, right? It's not necessarily harder to hit home runs there, but they are long fences. And a guy like LeMahieu with a limited fly ball approach and not a ton of power, it's hard for him to get the ball over that fence. But not in Yankee Stadium, not over that little porch and left, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, He's he's a really good hitter there. It is a perfect match for his skill set. He doesn't need to hit the ball as hard to get over the fences. And look, you're going to notice if you look at his home run fly ball rate, it's a huge spike in New York. It's not luck, folks. It's a guy with a really, really good hit tool realizing he can get the ball over that fence. Absolutely, right? yes. He can, he can definitely do that. It is a skill that he has. And you know, he, the last thing I'll say is he got surprisingly little fanfare for a guy who had won a batting title, right? He had 348 okay. in Colorado. He does what he wants with the baseball. And in New York, he realized he can put the baseball over the fence. So he does. The projections right now are giving him 20 home runs. Take the over. Mm-hmm. Over, 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 over. Right? Yeah. 23 to 25. That's what you should be thinking about. Right? Mm-hmm. Maybe a little better. He got 26 in 2019. There's no reason he can't do it again. And that was only 145 games. Give him another 10 games. Maybe it's 27. Maybe it's 28. He can do that stuff. An extreme hit tool. Right? Go for it. 
don't don't hesitate. Just go for it and play him in your infield somewhere. Doesn't matter where. Yeah, all over, all five positions, middle infielder, corner infielder, and like I said, first, second, third. So uh, next guy that, that was on your list, Jose Abreu, reigning AL MVP. Uh, all you could say about this guy is just he's just been so consistent, right? Uh, I mean, batted at least 284 in every single uh, season that he's played. Uh, he used to be my go-to guy because you could end up getting him a little later in drafts. Like last March, he was going in the seventh round of drafts, and, and this season he's going in the third round. I'm listening to some people worried about his age, uh, but the guy shows no signs of slowing down. I mean, maybe he doesn't uh, put up the same kind of numbers that he did last season, but just based on what this guy has been able to do uh, every season, I think you know, 30 home runs, close to 100 runs batted in, and close to 300 batting average, it's, it's almost a given. It's amazing what a better lineup around you will do, mm-hmm. right? I mean, bring in Lewis Robert, bring in Eloy Jimenez, bring in every you know everything else they've added to that lineup, and he hits right in the middle of it, right? 100 RBIs, 30-something home runs. Is it boring? I guess, right? But <laughs> not really. You know, I mean – if the only negative thing I had to say about him in the article, and it wasn't even negative, it was that like in an on-base percentage league, he gets a slight downgrade. But what is, I don't even know what that means. Right? I don't even know how many how many picks is that, right? He had right. a 370 OBP last season. I don't think he'll get – like his career, it's 350. And actually in the two years prior to that, it had been like a little – it had been 330 or lower in 2018, 2019. So maybe he'll only be average with on-base percentage instead of like stellar in terms of batting average league. But – this is a really good first baseman. He hits for a lot of power, makes contact. I mean, there's just there's not bad things to say about him, and he's probably more of a sure thing than the rest of this tier. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, next, Pete Alonzo, power personified. Just call this guy He Man. You remember the cartoon He Man? Uh, for forty plus home runs, just a possibility every season. But the only thing is, uh, at a cost of a potential uh, below average batting average, right? He, uh, he has a, uh, his own kryptonite, uh, career 200 batting average against breaking balls. Uh, home away, bats 230 at home, away 273. You talked about how his uh, high fly ball rate and the fact that he plays in a pitcher-friendly park could be something to, to look into. Where do you stand on Pete Alonso? I mean, just, just know what you're getting into, right? Take some decent walks. Right, I mean, it doesn't make his on-base percentage that good because his batting average isn't that good, but he can hit 40 home runs. How many players in Major League Baseball can hit 40 home runs? Right, it, it's not as many as you think. Right, and I don't give it. I don't give a darn about the ball change. Pete Alonso can hit 40 home runs unless you throw a bowling ball. Right, I mean, that's he can absolutely crush the ball. So he can hit 40 home runs. He's got 80 grade power. That's hard to find. And if that's what you want, if you want a guy who can really shore up power hit 10 more home runs than the other first baseman, it's Pete Alonso. That's what he can do. So if you know what you're getting into, there's no problem here, right? If you want to find holes, yeah, sure, there's holes. There's holes in batting average. But he still, he hit 16 home runs last year, right? In 57 games. That's a heck of a rate. 40, you know, project him for 40, and, like, you won't be disappointed. There's not a lot of guys we project for 40. So get power. And then, you know, power, power, and more power. And that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. Just know what you're getting into. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is the next player we'll talk about. Everybody asks, is this the season? Is this the season that he comes close to reaching his uh, potential? A tremendous hit tool. We tend to forget sometimes that he's only going to be 22 years old in March. Uh, lots been talked about losing 20 to 25 pounds in the offseason. Wants to play third base, but to me, you know, he's really a DH, but he's going to be the first base, but 
made four errors in eight games this winter in the Dominican Winter League. Is the best thing that he's done so far in the majors is hit a bunch of home runs in the All-Star Home Run Derby? <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, that was great. Let, that let's, was so awesome. let's, not, yeah. let's not take anything away from that. <laughs> Look, Vlad Jr. is one of these guys. You just need to know how you feel about him going into the draft. Mm-hmm. Just make your assessment. There are people that are willing to pay for the potential because they see it. And I see it. Right? He's He could be unreal. Right? We had these lofty expectations, but it's not because just of his name. He crushed the minor leagues. It, was, it wasn't even a competition for him down there. Right? Now, is he struggling in the major leagues? A little. You know, like he's he is struggling to to really establish himself like he did in the minor leagues. But I still believe the peak for him is like a peak Miguel Cabrera, like mm-hmm. triple count, triple crown winner, like a guy that can absolutely crush. So if you want to pay, this is this is when you have to do it, right? But you're either going to be totally in on Vlad, or you're probably going to be totally out because the price point. Right? Right. Just just know where you are. Could Vlad theoretically slip to you in a draft and you not expect it? Maybe, but let's be real. Probably not, right? He's either going to go way earlier than you were willing to take him, or you're going to be the one taking him earlier than everyone else. Know which one you are, go into your draft, preparing to be that person. Do it in some mocks. See how it feels and just be ready. Next uh, two players you called seven and seven a Luke Voigt, Yankees uh, first baseman and uh, Keston Hiura, who is going to be playing first base with the Brewers uh, signing of Colton Wong. Voigt led the majors in home runs, has a history of some injuries, came into last season the best shape of his life. (laughs) You know, he's he's still dealing with the plantar fasciitis. And then you have uh, Hiura, who had a tremendous rookie season uh, and just fell back uh, last season, needs to work in his uh, plate discipline. You call them 7 and 7A. Who are you taking among them? So... The first thing I should mention is throughout these articles, you'll find me do like this 7A, 7B. That's not necessarily because they're tied for me. It's because that's where they'll sort of like get drafted because they're multi-position eligible and they won't be eligible right away or they're not eligible at that position in all leagues. So here's the thing about Voight. The next time he plays a hundred, a 119th game in the major leagues will be the first time he right. plays a 119th game in the major leagues. Now, he did play pretty much all of last season. There just wasn't 119 games to play. Right. He played 56. He set his career high in Major League home runs last season with 56. He played more than double that in 2019 and he only hit 21 home runs. Right. So there's big time power here. There's big time potential. We've seen him goes on, go on tears like this. Like when he first joined the Yankees, we've seen this. We know what he can do. That's the one nice thing about him. Like, I'm not that worried about the, the walk rate changing last season because I wouldn't walk either if I was hitting 22 home runs in 56 games. I don't need to take walks. I'm crushing. I'm going to hit the ball. Right. So when you see players have this drop in walk rate, but they're also absolutely raking, don't worry about the walk rate. Right. You walk to get on base, but you can also hit to get on base. And if you're raking, you don't need to walk. Right. Why walk when you can hit a double? That's what Voight was doing. So I'm fine with that. I like him more than I like Hira, but I also have to recognize that Hira's second base eligibility is really valuable. Right. I've also done ranks on second base. We'll talk about it later. It's a position that thins out quick, not because there's not as much talent. It's because almost all those players are eligible at other positions. Mm -hmm. So there's one more reason to take them throughout, like one more reason to take them early in the draft. So that's what happens. I like Voight more. Uh, The thing with Voight is he's got to play. Right. So the more shallow the league, the more interested I am in Voight because the replacement level is higher. I know I can get other guys to fill that role. So that's a big deal with Hira. Of course, the issues is the strikeouts. He's got to make contact. He's got this big hole in his swing. Teams are finding it out. They're exploiting it. 
can he adjust, right? Just because you have a hole in your swing doesn't mean you're always going to have a hole in your swing. He has had holes in his swings before and he's fixed it. Can he fix it now? That's the question. So there's like sort of a risk on both ends. You're sort of asking yourself, is Voigt going to play? Is he going to play that 119th game, that 140th game? Well, with Hira, it's is he going to strike out less than 30% of the time, less than 40% of the time? This is That's what's going to happen. So that's what I'm going to be waiting on. That's what I'm seeing. I take Voigt first. I put Hira there because he belongs in this tier, but he's also not going to start there because you can't start him at first base right away. Yeah, I agree with the injury concerns about Voigt, but like uh, DJ LeMahieu, I think he... He's found a, a home where he feels comfortable with, with the Yankees. And the fact that he hasn't played 120 games is concerning, no doubt. But the, the, the power is real. Uh, but we'll see uh, if he could stay on the field. That's the, the big thing. But uh, And also, Hira with his upside. But you're right. He's got, uh, he's got some work to uh, do ahead of him. So uh, let's move on to the, the next tier. Now, this is my tier. I, lo- I love the guys in here. I think you get good value here. And the first one in this uh, tier three, uh, that you call solid, uh, Anthony Rizzo. Uh, Anthony Rizzo is going to be 32 in August. And uh, for those of you that, that like this stuff and think that, think that uh, some players that uh, like some of these players, the fact that they're going to be a free agent at the end of uh, 2021, I don't know if you think that he's going to be playing uh, any harder. But uh, to me, super valuable at ADP of 98. Uh, and that's ninth round in a 12-team league. I took part in a couple of 12-team mocks. He went in the sixth and seventh round there. Uh, slumped in 2020, but across his career, has been very streaky. Uh, maybe uh, in a full season, he would have snapped out of it. But uh, w- your thoughts on Rizzo? I love that you mentioned that right at the end there. One thing we didn't get to see in 2020, and it's something you'll notice the more you look at like rolling charts, it's that we only got to see like one cycle. We got to see a player come up, then come back down. Or we saw a player go down, then come back up. We didn't get to see the rest. We didn't get to see what happens after. Rizzo has slow starts, right? He, he's done that for a while. But then he ends up being a very high-end first baseman. And when people are down on him, I'm up, right? Not because my valuation on him has changed. It's that it hasn't changed. And other people's valuation of him changes all the time. But he keeps end up being same old Rizzo, right? Same old top-end first baseman. A guy I really like. So I'm a big fan of Rizzo. I love his plate discipline. I love how much contact he makes, which is actually hard to find at this position. There's not a lot of first basemen who strike out less than 15% of the time, 20% of the time. He's one of them. So big Anthony Rizzo fan. I'm not worried about him. I know he's going to play. I know he's going to make good contact. Is he going to have some slow periods? Yes, I know that about him. But what I like about Rizzo is I know what I'm getting. And we just talked about a bunch of guys where I don't necessarily know where I'm getting, right? I don't know what I'm getting with Boy. I don't know what I'm getting with Hira. I know what I'm getting with Rizzo, and I like that. Are you kind of a guy that, that thinks that likes to take someone if they're uh, playing for a contract? You think that they uh, <laughs> as a little uh, incentive for them to, to play a little bit better? We don't talk enough about the human element of baseball right. and how that really does impact players. Problem is, I can't quantify it, right? I can't. Does it matter? Like, sure. Like, I, I like that he might have something extra to play for, but I don't know Rizzo personally. I haven't talked to him on the phone, right? What if he doesn't need that? What if he's been, you know, what if he's playing as hard as he can every day? I don't know. And because I can't quantify it, my approach on things I can't quantify is ignore, mm-hmm. right? I, I simply don't. Now, does that mean I've been left holding the bag or I've been late on things because I didn't know, so I didn't act? Yes, but I know that's the kind of player I am and that's the kind of, that's the kind of approach I take. I know the approach I'm taking, and I'm comfortable with it because, I to me, it balances out. Now, if you're the type of person that's really aggressive on that kind of information, great. Bumpers are up. 
right? Put him, put him in the tier above, right? I don't know if I'd put him over Voight, but put him in the tier above, right? Be a little more aggressive on him if that's the type of person you are, if you really believe in that stuff. Because it's not like I can quantify it anyway. I can't tell you that you're wrong. I don't know, right? I'm, I'm admitting that. So if that's the kind of person you are, I'm fine with it. I'm not because what I do is ignore if I can't quantify. All right, next player, we'll talk about Matt Olson from the Oakland A's, ADP of 86, eighth-round pick. Another guy uh, you talked about, there aren't that many uh, players that actually could hit 40 home runs on the regular, and he is one. But, uh, again, like like an Alonso, he's going to hurt your batting average a bit. Uh, and, look, he had a terrible year with a 195 batting average, but – uh, he's definitely in line for a, a bounce back. But uh, let me ask you, and then you can tell me your, your thoughts on, on Olsen. Is there really that much a difference between Pete Alonso, uh, who you can get in the fifth round, and Matt Olsen, who you can get in the eighth round? I mean, you look at steamer projections for Alonso, 242 batting average, 41 homers, 102 RBI, two stolen bases. For Matt Olsen, 240 batting average, 38 home runs, 98 RBI, and two stolen bases. There is a difference in the, in the main thing is going to be like sort of that range of outcomes, right? So Matt Olson has a lot tighter range of outcomes. He's going to probably, if he plays a full season, 30 to 40 home runs. I can't really expect much more than that. But also if he plays a full season, I don't expect any less than that. I know the batting average is going to be low. I know he's going to walk plenty. That's fine, right? thing with uh, Pete Alonso, I don't know if he'll ever hit, you know, 50 plus home runs again, but he could, right? And that, that potential, that's what you pay for. Mm-hmm. The fact that Alonso could hit 50 again. Because he's got that kind of power. He's got that kind of upside. I, I mean, that's real, right? So the projections are going to level those out. The projections are looking for the most likely outcome. And if that's the way, if you're a more conservative player, then you absolutely move Alonzo down and you keep Olsen where he is and say, wow, these are similarly valued players. There's a lot of people who do that. that really rely on the projections. Thing is, if you're paying more, it's because you believe in the upside. You believe in the 50 home runs. I, I don't think Matt Olsen has 50 home runs. I think 40 is really more his realistic ceiling and not Alonzo's, right? Um, Matt Olson, if he hit 45, that's as good as it's ever going to get. Whereas Alonzo hitting 45 is like, okay, yeah, that sounds right. He must have played all year. <laughs> <laughs> Great point. Uh, next player, Paul Goldschmidt uh, for the Cardinals. Uh, he upped his game last uh, last year, uh, especially when it came to plate discipline. And you talked about it in, in your article. Uh, he hit three oh four uh, three oh four batting average and sixteen percent walk rate, were his highest since twenty fifteen. Do you think that you could consider him as a thirty homer guy uh, every season, like he used to in the past? I wish I could, but as much as I loved the plate discipline changes, and I love seeing an older player make these kinds of like changes to their approach and, and these alterations, he only hits six home runs, mm-hmm. right? That, I know it was a short season. You got to put it in perspective, but like that's, that doesn't get you to 30, right? Like you only hit, you only hit six. That's just not many. I mean, we talked about Voight. That was 22, right? And of course that led the American league, but six did not, it didn't lead anything, right? Six is mediocre at best in terms of power. And so I don't know what that was. I don't know if we would have seen a hot streak later. That's just part of the, uh, the shortened season, but you know, maybe maybe it was bad luck. Home run fly ball rate was down, but I don't like that part. Right, he might yeah. be changing the type of good player that he is. He could still very well be good, just a different kind of good. I'll give him a little mulligan because he had uh, some uh, surgery to get rid of some elbow bone spurs uh, after the 2020 season. So you know, uh, 
maybe we give him a little bit of a, of a pass, but I see your point because 28.2% uh, fan graphs, hard hit rate, uh, lowest of his career. Stat cast uh, downturn is not as severe, but fan graphs really has him down and the lowest barrel rate of his career since uh, 2016 uh, of uh, 10.7 league average is 6.4. So we'll see uh, if obviously he's going to get a little help in that lineup with uh, Nolan Arenado, uh, batting behind him so we'll, we'll see uh max muncie i tend to like this guy too much <laughs> because I, I, you know, sometimes scott I, I i get too crazy over these these multi-position eligible guys but he's another guy this will probably be the last year where you could put him at every spot in the outfield first second third base middle infield uh i'm middle yeah middle infield and corner infield uh slumped all season until it came to uh the the playoffs then he finally came to life batted 192 He's never going to hit for a high average, you know, 240, 250, if you want to be generous. But he mentioned that he had a, a fractured finger, and I wonder if that might have affected the way he gripped the bat. But uh, what are your thoughts on, on Muncy? I mean, that very well could be true. The other thing we found was that right-handed pitchers just gave him fewer fastballs, and a lot of his career production is on fastballs. And I'm not just saying that because, like, most players do the most damage against fastballs because they see the most fastballs, but it's because... He specifically with fastballs, he wrecked them, right? Basically, he would force you to throw a fastball because he takes a ton of walks. One of the reasons he takes a ton of walks is because he won't go after some of that junk that you throw outside of the zone. He makes you get in the zone, and when a lot of pitchers need to get in the zone, they use a fastball, right? And he waits for that. He finds that fastball, and he wrecks it, right? But he didn't get that as much this year. And maybe it's a small sample. Maybe it's bad luck. I don't know what it is. Pitchers changed their approach on Muncie, and it worked. For 60 games, it worked. Does that mean he can't make those adjustments? Absolutely not, because we saw him in the playoffs make that adjustment. It's not like all of a sudden they just were like, oh, well, it's the playoffs now. We'll throw more fastballs. That's not how it worked, right? They kept throwing him breaking balls, and he got better, and he adjusted. He can make that adjustment again. But there was something there. So, I mean, those struggles were real, something Mm -hmm. to think about. But at the end of the day, he does hit in the middle of a very good lineup. He's going to hit 30 home runs. He's going to walk like 15% of the time. He's going to score a bunch of runs. He's going to drive in a bunch of runners. That's, he's really good three categories, right? Mm-hmm. Just three, but he's really good in the three. And at this stage, right, a back-end starter, you know, back half of starters at first base in your league, that's great. I'm, I'm all about that. That's just fine. Absolutely. Um, Dominic Smith, the next on your list. First base outfield eligible. Get him around the ninth round based on his uh, 108 ADP. Uh, love your optimism about him in, in your article. Uh, my big thing is I just hope he continues to get everyday playing time. And it, it looks like they're going to find a way uh, to, to get him in the lineup every day. Uh, his battle rate has gone up three seasons in a row. Uh, exit velocity and uh, hard hit uh, off of Savant, highest of his career. Good line drive rate of uh, 25.9. And I uh, just hope that he gets everyday playing time. Yeah, me too. And it's partially the playing time that has me reserved just a little. The other part is this is the first guy we're getting to in the first bank rankings, believe it or not, that doesn't hit like second or third or fourth, mm-hmm. right? Talking about a guy that might find himself towards the bottom end of the lineup there because it's so deep. Not because he isn't good enough, because it's so deep there. And that does start to change things because in that article I mentioned, you know, 132 games, he has 21 home runs, 31 doubles, a great batting average, great OPS. I didn't list the counting numbers because they weren't that good, mm-hmm. right? Because he was batting in the bottom end of the lineup, right? And obviously the Mets have gotten better, but 
There's no DH right now, so there's still going to be a pitcher batting within like two spots of him, right? They're not going to drive him in. You know, so those kinds of things really do matter. And while it's really hard to guess counting stats, that's enough to get you below like some of the guys we just talked about. Even though he has the potential to be just as good, he bats later. That's fewer at-bats. That's fewer plate, fewer plate appearances. That's fewer opportunities to drive in runners. That's fewer opportunities to score. That's a problem, right? When you're comparing players to each other, that's a problem. So does that mean I don't like him? Absolutely not. I, I love Dominic Smith. I love what his upside is. I, I like how he swings from the left side. But when I'm comparing him to Max Muncy, I'm comparing him to Paul Goldschmidt, those guys hit in the middle of the order. So even if they're a little behind, they can drive in runners. They can get me counting stats. Dominic Smith, if he's slumping, he's getting me nothing, right? There's nothing there for him. So that's a problem, and that's when we start seeing just tiny little shifts in the rankings because of where they hit. Right. You included uh, Alec Baum from uh, the Phillies, played seven games at first base, 38 at third base last season. Uh, with uh, Reese Hoskins, uh, it's going to be a little question. Though. He had some uh, shoulder surgery. Uh, he might uh, Baum might end up opening the season playing some first base and getting f- uh, first base eligibility. Quick thoughts on, on Baum? You know, I think he's got power. Uh, I don't know if it's, it's not like the 40 home run power we've talked about earlier on, but he could definitely be like a 25 home run guy. I like him a lot. I like that he's hitting, you know, in the middle of that, uh, you know, sort of in the middle of that Phillies order that is, that is pretty good. And he's an exciting rookie, right? Like I'm a baseball card guy. That's yeah. the rookie card. Top series one, the rookie card that came out. That's Alec Bohm. So Love it. Love it, it's, it. it's exciting, but, mm-hmm. uh, Upside isn't quite what it is with some of the other guys we've seen. And the floor is, of course, a bit lower being, you know, a rookie player. Right. Next guy, Mike Moustakis. Now, just in general, you talked about it in your article. The Reds hit 212 as a team. And when you look at the their lineup, you're like, how the heck could this happen? <laughs> you know, but for Moustakis uh, in particular, uh, he slumped as well, but got some forearm quad issues. Uh might have even had COVID, but that, that was kind of like questionable the way that uh, the Reds team dealt with COVID in terms of like a couple of plays took a couple of days off, but there was really no uh, real announcement whether the, you know, a specific player had COVID. I mean, it was just a, it was a weird vibe that the, the whole Reds team had offensively. But what do you think about Mustakis having somewhat of a, of a comeback? Another guy that I, I think is just going to... Easy potential to hit 30 home runs, but he's going to drain your batting average. 240, 250 tops. Yeah, people love dra- drafting Mike Moustakis. Whenever you're in a draft room, someone drafts Mike Moustakis. Everyone's like, oh, good pick. Oh, that was my guy. Oh, And I, I like Mike Moustakis. If you look at the article, it's one of the great examples of a rolling chart where at the end of the day, his strikeout rate, 22.1%. Oh, no, that's like six point higher than his career. What's going on? What's happening? Is it because he's old? No, it's because it started poorly and he got better throughout the season. It went like straight down, right? By the end of the season, his rolling 50 plate appearance uh, strikeout rate was like 12.5%, right? He, he was very good. It got much better, but it wasn't there right away. He struggled at first. I don't know what the Reds were doing, but I hope they don't do it again because right. everybody struggled down there. They had all kinds of weird stuff, and I hope that that's over because there's so many Reds that I like. But they all struggled. Every single one of them, they all had a bad year. So hopefully they fixed whatever horrible thing they did, right? I don't don't know if they, you know, I don't know if it was like a curse. I don't know what happened, right? I don't know if, like, was it, like, was it some kind of, like, you know, I don't even know. And I hope it's over because they need to hit better. They can hit better. They're in a great hitter's park. Moose can hit a lot of home runs in Cincinnati. And 
And I hope that he does. It's just, you know, hopefully he doesn't have the start like he did where every single player face plants for the first month. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, we talked about Reese Hoskins briefly, mentioned that he's recovering from uh, shoulder surgery, much better in OBP leagues, and definitely has uh, plenty of power. But why don't we uh, move over to Josh Bell, who uh, is with the Nationals now, slumped in 2020, uh, 226, 305, 364 uh, slash line. Really has been slumped since the latter part of, of 2019. You know, 2019 numbers, 37 home runs, 116 RBI. But last 28 games of 2019, 229 batting average and 70, 781 OPS. He is getting some buzz. Uh, Nats are saying that they found some kind of flaw in his swing that uh, might help him out. You know, he's one of these players that says uh, he didn't get enough uh, at bats as he normally would have in a a regular spring training. Another thing he talks about is not getting to watch video in between his at bats. What are your thoughts on Josh Bell and uh, can he bounce back? So first thing I want to mention is I'm very, I'm a very big believer in that these guys that talked about how they couldn't watch video and that it impacted them. It really did. These players really do use that video. It's really important to them to make those adjustments while they're playing in game, right? That's what they need to see that stuff. And the fact that they couldn't, they will this year, right? They're going to have access to tablets. They're not going to have the video monitor like they did before. Thank you, Astros. But they're going to have these tablets, right? So that's going to help a lot. Do I think he can bounce back? Sure. But many of us have been burned waiting for Josh Bell to break out or do what he did before again, right? Can he do it? Yes. I'm not. I don't have a problem with it at this point in a draft, right? You're not paying the premium for Josh Bell. I like that. You paid the premium in 2020. You don't have to pay it in 2021. So, you know, as long as you can start getting the ball in the air, there's some upside here. But if you're watching maybe spring training or maybe you know, you've got him on your team, if you're wondering when that point of, uh oh, this might not go well, it's because he's driving the ball into the ground. That's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Last one in this tier, Eric Hosmer. Get him uh, ADP 145, 13th round. Do you believe in the launch angle and uh, the increase there? Uh, also, I'll ask you this. Do you think that there's a chance with so many bats uh, in San Diego now that his problems hitting left-handed pitching, batted 204 against left-handers last season in 2019, 231. You think there's ever a chance where you know they start to platoon him a little bit? I mean, that's entirely possible just because of the number of good players they have there. I think the real thing to remember about Hosmer is, look, if you just look at his final season stats for 2020, you're like, oh, man, there's just been a change. He's like a better hitter now. Zoom out, right? This is where I love the rolling charts. Zoom out. Look at his career, right? He was his. This was the same kind of peaks he had in 2019. The thing is, in 2019, there was more season for him to be an average hitter. Right. And he did that for much of the season, had these little peaks like all players do in these average. We didn't have time for that in 2020. We saw the peak. We didn't see what happened after. So a lot of what I saw from Hosmer was very much like the other Hosmer, the Hosmer we've been seeing for years, who is a pretty average back end first baseman in terms of fantasy. And I'm not convinced he's anything different just because we happened to see the spike. We didn't see the rest of the season. A guy, I just really encourage you to go to the rolling chart, look at the full career chart, and see when you see that, you'll see why I'm saying 2020 doesn't look different. Mm-hmm. Now we get to the uh, deep league options, and I'm just going to skip down, and I, I want to get your opinion of maybe two or three players real quick from these last group of players, and then we could uh, close out. But I, I'll give you one name that uh, Carlos Santana. Now, I know he 
you know, 199 batting average last season. Uh, he's with the Royals now. Uh, I know you don't have too much faith in it, but I look at what he's done in his career at Kaufman Stadium. Uh, in 74 games, batted 327, 449, 628 slash line with a 1.077 OPS. We talk about, you know, I guess because I, I, I was a psych major in college. Maybe I, I start to think about, you know, some things outside of the box. You know, maybe he's just comfortable hitting there. He's always been good in OBP leagues. Joe, you're a smart guy, and there might very well be something there. But I also wonder if the problem is that, you know, what if, what if he's just getting the boost because he was facing the Royals? I was, right, like, the Royals have not been very good. They've not been very good. They've not been good at pitching. So, like, yeah, that was in Kauffman Stadium. But I bet his line against the Royals in general is about the same, right? He spent plenty of time in the Central. He's gotten to face plenty of Royals pitchers that aren't very good. So, uh, I mean, I wonder if that's a big part of it. At the end of the day, like, in a the deeper your league, the more willing I am to push up Carlos Santana, right? Because I know he's going to play. He's going to play a lot. He is going to hit for some power, and those plate appearances mean something, right? And the walk rate's obviously an OBP. He goes up because he's got a great walk rate. But in a 12-teamer, this is a replacement guy, right? Because, yeah, yeah there's side there. I but agree. I agree. There's, he just doesn't have the same floor as the people we talked about in some of the tiers below, or he doesn't have the same stealing, right? So his floor is higher than, like, Miguel Sano, who I rated better, mm-hmm. right? But that's because Miguel Sano's ceiling is higher, right? So with the cat, like, you know, Santana's got a bit of a cap ceiling and a really low floor in a 12-teamer, which is what these rankings were designed for. It's hard for him to move the needle. Mm-hmm. Give me one or two from your deep list, uh, and I'll give you one guy, the other guy that I, I kind of uh, intriguing. Uh, I find him intriguing this year. But give me one or two from your list that you say, hey, maybe they have a shot of uh, overplaying their ADP. Or yeah, so you're giving me you're giving me the chance to talk. I'm going to talk about the guys I want to talk about. I'm going to talk about a pair of Detroit Tigers, right? So Heimer Candelario. Yeah, he actually hit really well, and StatCast believed what he did last season. Now, again, it was a short season. I'm not saying he can do that all the time, but you know, when you're looking at a watch list candidate, a guy who could hit for some average, who could hit 20 to 25 home runs, right? Uh, there's some value there in Candelario. If he gets hot, he could end up on a 12-team roster for a while. Might not be forever, but he could do it for a while. A guy who I rated, who I ranked lower, mostly because while I was writing this, he didn't have a team. It wasn't until a little after, so I had to put him somewhere. Renato Nunez. This is a guy who very recently hit 30 home runs in a season for a team that was just as bad as the Tigers are offensively, right? He, he did that for the Orioles. And not the good Orioles, not the Nelson Cruz Orioles. The bad Orioles, the recent ones, the modern ones, right? So he was able to be a productive first baseman for the Orioles. Granted, it was a smaller park, but Comerica, last thing I was say, Comerica is a good hitter's park. It's a bad home runs park. It's a good hitter's park. There's a lot of places to hit doubles. There's a lot of places. So he might trade some of those, like maybe instead of 30 home runs, it's 27, 28. But instead of hitting 240, he might hit 250, right? You get that trade off. So it's all there. It's a good place to hit. It's got a great batter's eye. I like Nunez in Detroit, mostly because he's going to play. They got nobody else to put there. They don't have some log jam like CJ Crone, right? There's nobody else to play first. He's going to play right. first. Could hit a bunch of home runs. So that's what I like in terms of watch list, deep league, that kind of thing. Yep. Uh, and you mentioned CJ Crone hooked up with the uh, uh, the Rockies. 30 home run potential right there. I mean, you, you, you know, you've seen it, right? I mean, so we'll see. Uh, how about Nate Lowe? A new opportunity with the uh, with the Rangers. I know it's not really considered a great hitter's park, but I guess we still have time to see how it, it plays out. Uh, but uh, Nate Lowe, 300 hitter in the minors, uh, 28% line drive rate last season. 
good barrel rate, 15.4. I think he has a, a shot to uh, do something this year. Um, any other players that stick out to you as, as we close things out? I think the last thing I'll say is when you're in, you need to know your league because where you rank some of these guys changes, right? The deeper your league, the more you're going to bump up the Wilmer Flores is the Hunter Dozier's of the world, the Ryan McMahon's, right? Because they play and you know, they're going to play. So they move up in a deep league because you need the plate appearances in a 12 teamer. You don't care about the plate appearances. You can get plate appearances. They're on the waiver wire. You're looking for upside there. That's why you'll find like a rowdy to on this list ranked higher well, they're not ranked, but he's ranked higher than some of these guys that have guaranteed playing time because if Telez got playing time, he's 12-team relevant. There is no path to 12-team relevance for Garrett Cooper, right? Uh, deep league relevance, absolutely, but there's not a path to 12-team. So that's how you got to adjust your rankings for your league depth. You can't just take them all the same because the replacement level changes, and that changes your valuation of a lot of these players. Last question I'll ask you, and then we'll close things out. Bobby Dalbeck didn't make your list. ADP of 324. Another guy strikes out like crazy, but he's going to be the everyday uh, first baseman for the Red Sox. A lot of power. Actually did better than, uh, you know, when I looked at his numbers, 263 batting average, 359 OBP. I know pitchers are going to adjust and, you know, we'll see if he does. Uh, and he's had some issues in the minor leagues when it comes to, you know, batting average and, and whatnot. But it seems like that the power's real. Uh, and I guess the other thing to be worried about with him is if he, he does falter a lot, Mike Chavis could steal some of his uh, bats. I mean, I think that Dalbeck is kind of like the guy that, you know, if you, you know, if you're playing a deep enough league, and I know that your, your uh, article was based on 12 teamers, but uh, look, if, if you happen to take a chance on a really deep league and he's batting 190 after three weeks, drop him. No, that, that's a great point. And the more I look at it, the more I'm tempted to like delete my write up of like Ryan McMahon and put Bobby Dalbeck in. Cause I think it's more interesting, but you know, it's a hard path to relevance in a 12-team because the ratios are just so low. And as much as I like the home run totals, go through that list of third basemen, start at 15 even, and go down and see how many of them you think could hit 30 home runs. How many of them are you say, oh, he's got 30 home run potential? It's like half of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> but they might, like a lot of those guys won't hit 220. You know, so so that's, that's really the difference. Like we just talked about Carlos Santana who's probably not going to be drafted in all 12-teamers. You know, so well, I, there's an, I, I don't see a universe where Bobby Dahlbeck does better than Carlos Santana. Is there value in Bobby Dahlbeck? Sure, right? But if he's, not, he's not going to be better than Santana, and Santana is hard to draft, right? Mm-hmm. So that's yes. that's why he's not there, and also because I was at like 7,800 words, and you didn't need more for that. Right? You didn't need more. You didn't want more. So I didn't give you more. But, you know, if if, if the people clamor... I'll do it. I'll give you a paragraph on Bobby Dahlbeck. It just won't there be very you go. There you go. And uh, I'll tell you, I think we're a little over an hour into this podcast. I've had a lot of fun. Time just flew uh, today. It's been a lot of fun uh, talking baseball with you, Scott. Your uh, Twitter handle, if the chew fits, C-H-U. I love it. Love that uh, Twitter handle. People could follow me at Joe Galena. Could follow the podcast at Hacks and Jacks PL. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, Scott, and uh, we'll do it again next week. And uh, look, uh, to everyone out there, thanks for listening. Go to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a, a great review if you can. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, we'll see you next week. And uh, it's hoping that uh, all of your fantasies turn into reality. Scott, we'll talk next week. Yeah, just getting started, folks. Just getting started. Just getting started.